Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribe grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. And so he told them this parable. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It's good to be with you this morning. Those that are watching us online and and everybody that's here with us this morning, if, if we've not met yet, my name is Ken, and I'm the pastor here at Crosswinds, and, and Crosswinds is the land of misfit toys. There, there are no perfect people. We're all just sinners here that need a Savior. And um, a lie that sometimes we can believe when we come to a church is that everybody in there has it all together, but we don't. And another lie that we can believe is that we have it together and all those church people are broken. Um, if you believe either lie, you will miss out on the joy that God has for you. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you're a mess, but God loves you anyways. Go ahead. <laughs> now, now, if that offended you, you don't yet understand the gospel. So hang around here for a little while and you'll understand the gospel. The gospel says there's one perfect person and it's not you. His name is Jesus. And we all need him to clean us up from the mess that we're in called sin. And today we're starting a new series called U-Turn to Joy. And we'll be looking at the three parables in Luke 15. So today, if you could open your Bibles to, to Luke 15, you know, In these three parables, there are some similar themes. First, there are things that are both near and far in them. There's a a lost sheep that departs far from his shepherd. There's a lost coin which is very near to its owner and is still lost. There's a wayward sinful son that travels far from his father. And there's an older brother who stays home with his father and is near to him, but his heart is far from him. And in today's message, I want us to consider whether we are near or far from our Heavenly Father. And I won't today be going into the parables. We'll be doing that over the next couple of of weeks. In the next seven weeks, we're going to kind of look at these stories. But for today, we're just going to simply look at the audience who Jesus is speaking to. And I read it before. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribe grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners, and eats with them. And I believe understanding the audience is key to understanding the rest of these parables. You know, we are all in the audience that Jesus is speaking to. And so may the Holy Spirit guide us to where each of us are right now in this audience. That way we can gain benefit from the parables. You know, Luke records that in the audience are four groups of lost people. There are those fleshly sinners, the one everybody considers to be broken and far from God. That would maybe be the prostitutes or the lepers or the drinkers or the demon-possessed or the sexually immoral, those unclean Gentiles that practice a false religion. Those would be the, the sinners. But then Luke calls out specifically a group of another group in there, the tax collectors. And why doesn't... Luke just named them with the sinners. Maybe because these sinners are sinners that affect everybody with their sin. You know, maybe 
people could have sympathy for people like prostitutes who are caught in circumstances of life that, that lead them into sin. But tax collectors, they, they've, they've created a, a, a special kind of offense. You know, most of us today are not crazy about the IRS, but the tax collectors in the first century were especially hated by the Jews because they were often their own people who betrayed them by collecting taxes for their Roman oppressors. And, and, and tax collecting was also very profitable because you could charge whatever you wanted above the tax and keep that as a, a profit for yourself. And, and, and the tax collectors could intimidate and harass you to pay them and have the soldiers back them up in it. And nobody could do anything about it. The whole system was very corrupt and, and, and you were just stuck in it. And I, I believe this group of sinners represents those whose sin deeply affects us personally those who betray us, those who abuse us, those who willfully create damage in our lives and cost us dearly. Now, both of these groups of sinners can seem very, very far from God. But there's another group of sinners here called the Pharisees. Now, these are the ones that everybody thought were close to God because they liked people to think that. They went to church or to temple. They, they paid their tithe. And at Bible study, they knew all the scriptures. They, they dressed in the appropriate clothing. And, and, and they did that to let everybody know that they were cleaner or better than everybody. They carried the appropriate Bible very close. Actually, they, they wore it on their head. If we can go to the next slide. They, they wore it on their head in little leather pouches called a phylactery. And it, it was supposed to be a reminder to everybody that God's law came first. But it became a reminder that we come first and that, that we're the, the ones that are with God. And that word Pharisee meant separate. You know, Pharisees' religion sought to keep them separate from the riffraff, those unclean sinners who were not like holy people like them. You know, the rabbis of their day issued a summary rule that Jews should not associate with the godless. You know, a rabbi of that day often took this so seriously that they would not even teach the word of God to those that they felt were unclean. I want to give you a sample of a first century Pharisee prayer. I thank you, Lord, my God, that you have set my portion with those who sit in the sanctuary and not with those who sit in the street corners. I rise up early and they rise up early. I rise to attend the, the word of the Torah and they to attend futile things. I exert myself, and they exert themselves. I exert myself and receive a reward, and they exert themselves and receive no reward. I run, and they run. I run to life in the world to come, and they run to the pit of destruction. Now, I want you to notice all the eyes in their prayer. God is mentioned there, but who do you think they're really worshiping? Themselves. Now, everybody would have thought that those are the ones that are near to God. But there's something keeping them at a distance themselves. Now, the last group is the scribes. The scribes were the Pharisees' leaders, the ones who interpreted the laws of God. And, and they affirmed this separatistness. They were learned experts in society who, who, who answered everybody's questions about God. Today, we might call them Bible study leaders or university professors or, or pastors. And, and people all thought that they must be really near to God. 
But see, the Pharisees and the scribes divided humanity into two classes, the unclean and the righteous. And they were the self-proclaimed good people, and everyone not part of their little group were the, the bad people. Now, does that attitude still exist in the world today? Yeah. I've had the opportunity to preach at some of our churches that we associate with. And when I do, I always try to attend a Bible study to get to know the people there before I preach. And I've often heard this attitude expressed in Bible study conversation. Oh, the world out there is so bad, but it's okay. We're all good in here. Most of their conversation is about the sins of the world, not in their own admission and confession and repentance of their own sins. Let me ask you, does that kind of environment make them very friendly to outsiders? No, no. I hope that attitude does not ever exist at Crosswinds, the land of misfit toys. I, I hope that doesn't exist in our life groups. The Bible does not divide the world into groups of good people and bad people. It divides them in sinful people and redeemed people or saved people. There's just those two categories. Sinful redeemed people or sinful people. It, it, it's, 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 that's the categories in the Bible. And I want you to know something in our text. The notar- notorious sinners and tax collectors were the ones drawing near to Jesus. They were the ones listening to him. Well, the ones everyone... And they were the ones everyone thought was far from God because of their sin. But they were the ones that came near to hear what he had to say. You know, the Bible says, so faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Romans 10, 17. Often sinners can hear Jesus, but the self-righteous have something blocking their ears from hearing. And the scriptures tells us what it is. It's grumbling. I mean, think about it. If faith comes from hearing, and we are saved by grace through faith. Something that keeps us from hearing, like grumbling, sounds like it's very spiritually dangerous. It, it sounds like that it's something that keeps you very far from God. So, so today, did you come to the church grumbling about the world out there? D- did you come to church grumbling about the weird broken people in here? Did you come here grumbling about your spouse or your kids or your boss or your in-laws or your neighbors or your political party that opposes you sins? And if you did, then are you really ready to hear? Did you come here today with a Pharisee or scribe attitude? If you did, then it's possible you think you are near to God, but you're actually very far from God. You may consider others the biggest sinners, but a grumbly attitude about the sin of others is sin. And the Bible says the wage of sin is death, eternal death in hell. And the Bible does not define the sin of sleeping around, stealing, murdering, that they are any worse than the sin of grumbling about people who do those sorts of things. Sin is sin whether in action or in attitude. Maybe you're doing all the right things on the outside, but if your attitudes towards others suck, you're far from God. 
scary thing is it's keeping you from hearing him. It's grieving the Holy Spirit. You may say, everybody grumbles. It's no big thing as long as I just do the right things. Friends, all sin is a big deal. Jesus died for it. Sin separates us far from God. So a little grumbling is not so little a thing. The Bible commands us to be grateful in all things. There's a story in Numbers 12 about Miriam and Aaron Aaron, that started grumbling about their leader and brother Moses because he married a Cushite woman. Miriam was the kind of lead instigator of the criticism of, of her brother Moses and um, since he had married this Ethiopian woman, that's what a Cushite was, and she was probably dark-complected, darker than the rest. And, and her attack, though, was really about Moses' leadership of Israel. And yet God had chosen to speak and lead God's people through Moses as a prophet. And, and Miriam felt superior because of her pure race and because God also sometimes spoke through her. But ultimately, she was not grumbling against Moses or his wife for being dark-complected, but ultimately, she was grumbling against God for for choosing Moses as a leader. And now Moses, he he didn't defend himself. He was a, a very humble guy. But God did. He said to Miriam and Aaron, Why were you afraid not to speak against my servant Moses? See, their grumbling against another sinner made God extremely angry. And and so God made this influencer, Miriam, into a leper to show Israel how ugly her sinful attitude was. And Aaron was terrified, and he repented, admitting that they had done foolishly. Actually, what he said in the Hebrew is they were delusional in their sin. And, 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 And then Moses begs God for mercy for them, and God gives it. And he heals Miriam, but he let her be a leper and live outside the camp for seven days with her ugly grumbling on the outside so that she could remind the people of Israel the danger of grumbling against God's prophet and ultimately against God's authority. You know, the Pharisees in the stories are kind of like Miriam. They are beautiful or seem beautiful on the outside and seem close to God. But in the inside, their attitudes are are full of wickedness. Jesus once said this about some Pharisees that were grumbling about him and and others. He said, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? I want to ask you something about our main text today. Who ultimately were the scribes and Pharisees grumbling about? The sinners? No, Jesus. God himself. The one who created them is the one that they're grumbling against. They say, this man, not rabbi or teacher, which he was, they're questioning his authority, who receives sinners They're they're questioning Jesus' character because he intimately fellowships with the worst sinners. It says they eat with him. The text says the Pharisees said that he eats with them. And that that was kind of a, a connotation that he is loyal to them and he's loyal to their sin by his association with them. 
So they're, they're deeply questioning his character and his judgment and the judgment of God in their grumbling. See, anytime we, we grumble about sinners, aren't we doing the same thing? Complaining about the one who made them? Complaining about the one that is allowing for their sin? Actually, we are questioning the sovereign power and purpose of God in our grumbling. Did he not create them in his image for a purpose higher than we understand? For example, didn't God create Joseph's brothers who wickedly sinned against him just so that Joseph might be put in a position that he could save the world from famine? Did he not create Potiphar's wife to do the same thing? I'm not saying God created the sin, but he's often working for our good through other sinners. And if we believe Jesus saved us from our sin, we have to admit that he did it through sinners. Yes, the ones that crucified him. But what about those who brought him to us from a human perspective? See, the Bible is a a story of sinners and one Savior. All the patriarchs and uh, the people that the Pharisees kind of worshipped had moments of moral failure. They they disobeyed God's law. In Jesus' own bloodline, in, in the book of Matthew, there are three women recorded under the dark cloud of sexual immorality. In Jesus' own bloodline, Tamar, Rahab, and Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. You know, I, I know a preacher that did a Christmas message about Matthew's bloodline, the bloodline of Jesus, our Savior, and he called it the ho-ho-hos of Christmas. The Pharisees are looking down their noses on the same kind of broken toys that God uses and has always used for his purposes. Jesus is not afraid to be associated with sinners. That's why he came. That's why God allowed him to come and be born poor by a woman who sinned. The Bible is not a story about about a bunch of holy people. It's a story about one holy Savior that comes from afar to find sinners near and far and, and save them. The scriptures say this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And, and Jesus is the one obedient to his Father in hanging around with sinners. And his parables are to instruct us with his and his Father's mission of redeeming sinners both near and far. And if you grumble against sinners, you are against God's mission in the world. Jesus tells us these amazing parables to four groups of sinners, even to the two that don't think that they are, so that they might be found in him. Because God loves all sinners, even those that don't know they are. And when in each case they're found through repentance, there is more joy. The the misfit toy centers and the tax collectors wanted to be with Jesus and listen to him because they knew they had a problem. They, They knew they had a need for a savior. 
Jesus did not come for the self-righteous, those who thought themselves better than everybody else. Sinners, though, were comfortable with him because he never looked down on them. He looked at them. He had compassion for the disease of sin that, that made their lives broken. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they, they looked down on others. And they did that so they could wash, whitewash, cover up their own sin. That's what Jesus called them once. He called them whitewashed tombs. See, they pretended to have life on the outside, but they were just as dead as other sinners on the inside. Their, their religious rituals, their costumes, and their outwardly moral lives did nothing to remove the sin that condemned them. And the condemnation that they expressed and, and held in their hearts towards others even condemned them more. Our religion does not save. And the prideful attitudes that it can breed in us towards others can lead us blindly into condemnation because our ears are closed to God's will. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned and already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. In their grumbling, the Pharisees and scribes reject the very one who could save him. Friends, Our world is very religious right now. Do you see that? It's very religious. There are many out there with pharisaical attitudes claiming that that group or that group are the worst of sinners. You know, today as a pastor, some consider me the worst of sinners for preaching God's word that says some of their favorite behaviors might be sin. Today, policemen who keep us safe are often considered the worst sinners because of some bad apples out there. And because we have a culture also that doesn't want to respect authority, they often call people that, that, that want to respect authority sinners or the evil ones. You know, today the Pharisee would openly be called a sinner by the masses. And today, the morally deficit would be called saints if they had the right popular political and social positions. Those today that think they are tolerant of others are often the most condemning of others that they consider society's biggest sinners. Over time in history, who is thought to be the worst of sinners changes. It changes all the time. But, but the problem still remains. When we condemn another, we remain lost. We, we stay condemned before God, even though his desire is to save us. See, the reality is we can all have pharisaical attitudes. About our own sin and about the sins of others. Because, see, other people's sin seems to stink much, much more than our own. But like the Pharisee, this can make us far from God, even when we think we are the very close ones. Today, I want to ask you, 
Who is the group you think creates all the problems in the world? Who, who, who do you try to stay away from? Who, whose sin is a betrayal to all you hold dear? Now ask yourself, is your mind and speech focused on them being the problem? Then the truth is, you won't have lasting joy and peace in your heart unless you do a U-turn to joy. Then you will see that the real problem that you have is you. Your own attitude needs to change for you to come near to God. You know, there's a Pharisee named Saul who God made the Apostle Paul. And he did this by giving him a U-turn of perspective that brought him peace and joy for the rest of his life. Paul said this in 1 Timothy 1.15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost or the worst. Now, if a man who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, according to his religion, and wrote most of the New Testament letters that we read, can admit that, and you can't, is there a problem? Could there be a problem inside your cup keeping you far from God? You know, one time Paul focused his life hating another group as a Pharisee. He believed the worst of sinners were called Christians. And he even participated in rounding them up and, and, and killing them because that is where religious pharisaical thinking will lead you. That, that's what's happening in Mexico. Another religious group is persecuting those people. And, and if you're not actually killing others, you know what will kill? Your joy. But, but thankfully, Paul did a U-turn on the Damascus Road when he heard Jesus tell him, stop kicking against the goad or God's authority because that's who he was truly kicking against. Jesus came to save sinners and you're either on his team using your efforts for him or you're against him. Paul was not a sheep that ran far away and got messy. He was a sheep that stayed near whose heart was messy with pride that made him kick against God, the same God he said he loved. Friends, we can be near and also very far from the Father's heart. You know, many wayward sheep are found by Jesus. He pulls them out of their, 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 their dangerous mess. But often when we as his sheep get cleaned up, we can develop hard attitudes towards others that are still deep in the mess. And, and we can condemn them or ignore them instead of being with Jesus to help rescue them. Jesus was a friend to sinners of all kinds. Are you? Or, or, or do you only tolerate and make friends with those that are exteriorly cleaned up like you? In Luke 15, it's a parable. Jesus tells us, <sighs> It not just for those fleshly sinners out there. That's often how it's told. Those ones that are partying and living wild. If you really look at this, this parable was inspired by Jesus' audience, the scribes and the Pharisees, 
who were not listening because they were grumbling against sinners. Now, the parables are not there to condemn those of us that have pharisaical attitudes sometimes. We all have those at times. Jesus came to save sinners, not to condemn them. But if sinners will not realize they are in sin and repent, they are in the danger of being condemned. His his parables are about God's desire to restore all us sinners and bring us closer to his joy. See, the prodigal son comes to his senses. He realizes his thinking is delusional, and he returns to the father that he left. The father who was authority, and and he was loved, and he was given authority, and, and he was redeemed by the father's joy. But that same parable ends with an older son who who condemns his younger brother, and he stays delusional in his thinking. He's he's grumbling at his father, and, and he does not repent, even his father begs him to enter his joy. See, one, one sinner finds joy and redemption, the other is still left out in the cold, grumbling when the parable ends. And, and, and beloved, this parable is a warning to all of us who tend to think pharisaically about other sinners. It's a sin that can leave us out in the cold or condemned in our own self-righteousness. It's an attitude that we must repent of so we can hear God and enter into his joy. Pride is a delusion that makes us all blind. Jesus called the Pharisees blind guides. They knew all about God. Most of them had memorized the first five books of the Bible, but they were blinded to their own need for him because of their pride in their own righteousness, a righteousness that could not save him. And it's an easy trap for all of us to fall into, but it's a trap that can be eternally deadly. And the way of escaping Pharisee attitude is to start listening closely to God's word and accepting the truth of it and the authority of God about our own self-righteousness. His word says this in Romans 3, none of us is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throats are an open grave. That sounds like grumbling. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is in their lips. Their mouths are full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And in their path are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You know, Paul wrote that, a a former Pharisee, and it's a mashup of all kinds of uh, psalms and and, and, and words of Isaiah that that, that the Jewish people had spoken throughout history. And and it proves the state of our human condition. You know, there was a a, a pastor and author, Warren Wiersbe, and he calls this passage an x-ray study of the lost sinner from head to foot. See, the thing about an x-ray is it sees the inside, too. Your, your cleaned-up life, your, your religious dress, your, your knowledge of the word, and, 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 and doing everything ceremonially right will not make you righteous. Beloved, there, there is one thing 
that can make you righteous or, or right before a holy God. And it's hearing and believing in what his son has done for you. What his son has done to pursue sinners both near and far. The Bible says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Jesus is the only sinless one who came down from heaven, born of a virgin, so he could be identified with sinners. So he could be a, a friend to us sinners. And he died at the hand of sinners, being punished for the sins that he did not commit. He allowed God to place all your sin and all my sin on him. And then he put all that sin to death in his own body. And he satisfied the wrath of God for our sin forever by accepting the punishment that we all deserved. And then after he died, his body was discarded. It was thrown away in a borrowed tomb. But then three days later, he walked out of the tomb alive again, proving he had the authority to forgive our sin and to give us everlasting life. Yes, the wage of our sin is death, but now the power of sin to condemn us is gone for those who believe in Christ Jesus. The Bible says this, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But you can't live forever in him if you are not in him. Jesus is a friend to sinners, not to self-righteous people who don't need him. Today, do a t you turn to his joy by getting honest with yourself about your sin, no matter what group of sinners you were in. Today, repent of that deadly pharisaical attitude that crops up in your heart. Crosswinds, are we the land of misfit toys? Are we? Or are you pretending to be perfect on your own? I sometimes feel as if I'm one of the few people here that's repenting constantly. And I don't do that to be, say that to, to be self-righteous. I, I say that because as your pastor, I love you. And, and, and for week after week and, and for some year after year, I see very few coming to confess and repent of their own sins when God's word is preached to them. Are, are, are you a super Christian? Do, do God's words just bounce off your chest? You know, I really hear so few conversations throughout the week in our life groups about how you are personally repenting from your false attitudes. The internal stuff, the pride. Maybe you're doing it. And I, I do trust that, that many of you are doing that privately. And I, I trust that it's not your pride trying to maintain a self-righteous appearance like a Pharisee. I, I have to trust that it's not that. And I have to hope that your private religious attitude about your sin is, is not blocking other sinners from expressing their own repentance because they want to be perfect like you. I, I, I hope you're only doing it privately because you believe that's right, even though the Bible says... Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The, the prayers of a, a righteous person has great power in its work. And the way we become righteous is by confessing our sin and, and believing on Jesus and he makes us righteous. Beloved, 
The way to get well inside and out is, is, is to come to our senses and, and to repent. The Bible says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And whether we're near or far, we need to come back to the Father for restoration and joy. Repentance is not just for prodigal sinners. It is for disciplined, older sons and daughters that stayed near. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If your faith is joyless, maybe it's because you refuse to repent and trust in his righteousness instead of your own. If you, if you stay outside the party believing you're good, I'm all good, you miss out on all that the Father wants to give you. God loves you, and, and, and he's waiting for you to stop grumbling about him and others and, and return home and, and celebrate. Jesus said, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons or people that think they're righteous who need no repentance does not matter whether you're a private inward sinner or a, a, a loud outward sinner. The way home is the same. Come to your senses. Admit your sin or your sinful attitudes. Get, get real about them and confess them. And then believe that he is good and that he sent his only son to die to redeem you and, and to give you forgiveness and to give you joy forever. Commit today to following him in his honesty, and, 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 and him daily in his word. And if, you, if you'll be honest and, and, and be in his word, you will help other brothers and sisters find their way back home. Your, your grumbling about other sinners will only drive them away. Come to him, all who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and live, beloved, I do not condemn you. I'm, I'm not condemning you. I, I love you and I'm begging you like the father went out and he begged the older son to come into the party. Jesus is a, is a friend of sinners and he is searching for you and you will be accepted no matter how big the mess is inside or out. Today, whether, whether you're near or far, take that U-turn for joy. Come, confess your sins and repent and live in joy forever. Let us pray. Father God, I praise you for your word and the power of your Holy Spirit that comes in and convicts our heart. Father, use your word today to open us up, to let that, that filth on the inside come out. Father, you've been doing with that with me all week. And Lord, forgive me for my pharisaical attitudes. Father, help me to love like you love. Father, if there's other sinners here coming to repentance, I know that you will give their heart joy like you gave my heart joy. Father, draw them. Whether they're near or they're far, draw them to you. Maybe today this is the first day that they heard the gospel. They were far. Lord, let them come to you and you will run to them and Lord, you will restore them because of your great love. Maybe they're close. Don't let them be stubborn like that older brother. Father, let them turn and let them, let them believe in your goodness. Believe in your sovereign will, even in the things they don't understand. And Father, help them to stop their grumbling and let them start loving the ones you love. 
Lord, do a mighty work in this place today. For your good and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.